Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Sananda Matreya. Sananda was born at Terence and Derby and is an American singer and songwriter. He came to fame with his debut studio album, introducing the hardline according to Tension Derby. The album included the singles If You Let Me Stay, Sign Your Name, Dance Little Sister, and the number one hit Wishing Well. Terence officially changed his name to Sananda Matreya in 2001. Sananda has continuously released album after album and singles after singles, which have been great successes around the world. Up next on Celebs Fight, we've got Sananda Matreya. Where do we find you in the world and how are you doing? Rule number one, you, you don't find me in the world, and okay. that's the way I like it. Um, <laughs> yes. I come looking for you, Barrett. Yes. I, for you. <laughs> I forgot um, that. <laughs> right, right now, well, first of all, welcome to the show. It's, it's, I'm proud to have you as my first guest. It's just what's called in the business a hostile takeover. <laughs> I, I, I find We find ourselves currently ensconced in the wonderful city of Milan, Italy, Milano, mm-hmm. Italia, if you are more uh, Mediterraneanly um, in, in, in enhanced, if you will. <laughs> but um, and I think I just found out a few days ago that it's the 23rd largest city in Europe. Oh, I didn't know that. Some bit of information I think that your audience deserves to know. Yes, exactly. And M- Milan, as I meant, we've discussed before for the listeners I've had chats with Sananda before, and I've explained to Sananda that Milan is one of my favorite places in Europe. It is a quality uh, environment for sure. It's a great place to raise a family because it's you know you 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 have all of the advantages of basically one of the European capitals, as well as the fact that it's not too big. It's not Paris or or London or. Places where you 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 kind of feel like you're getting smothered, yeah, in far too much humanity and the uh, concerns that come along with with that. So the quality of life is good. Like I said, not too big. It's not too small. It's got a kind of big village kind of feel about it. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, my my sons they really love being Milanese. And you mentioned about the smothered by people. I, I totally understand, recognize what you say, because oftentimes when you're in those big cities, you just have this abundance of energy just coming to you from the other people. And it's like, ah, too much energy coming my way. Leave me alone. <laughs> so it, I agree. Milan has that space, that space where you can actually walk and not have that tsunami of energy in inverted commas attacking you from the people coming towards you. I very much was spoiled, like a lot of people, by COVID, mm-hmm. because every year around Ferragosto, which is somewhere in the middle of August, mm-hmm. it's from the middle of August to the end of August, the Milanese are are known for getting the hell out of the city during those two weeks, or yeah, where pretty much the whole city is empty. Of course, my wife being raised. Uh, in Milano, is usually among those people who make their exodus out of the city. Whereas for me, it's the perfect time to be mm. here. 
Yeah. Because there's no one here. Yeah. And you feel like you are among those lucky few people who have the city to themselves where you can walk, you can look at beautiful things and still kind of hear yourself think. Um, COVID was like that on steroids. <laughs> you know, it was like that where basically it's like, wow, there's no one around. And you could hear the birds singing in the cities. Yes. You know, you could hear things that you take for granted in the country. I remember, you know, and I'm sure you do as well, hearing that there were even some cities in the world where the wildlife was taking yeah. over again. Yeah, I saw that. I know, saw the clips of that. That was amazing. I saw one place in England where the sheep had taken over the town, you know, <laughs> and it was like some. I'm sure one of the sheep whistled from behind a bush to the other sheep and said, OK, it's safe. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go find that cheese shop where they take all of our cheese. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw the video of the with the monkeys. I think it was somewhere in Asia. And the monkeys were all over the streets and all over the lights, but the street lights, and it was just amazing yeah. to see. Yeah. I think yeah. they had even formed a government. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they might have even run it as well as we run ours. I think better, better, <laughs> any better than any government in the world. Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a video called Mr. Skeleton from uh, uh, Pandora's Playhouse that was recorded when the city was completely on lockdown. That was kind of part of the premise because, um, in fact, the song Mr. Skeleton was inspired by the fact that initial that initial flush of um fear wave of fear where yes. everybody was just afraid of death yeah and that was the motif that was dominating our, our lives and our approach to it so uh, mr skeleton was basically saying hey mr skeleton don't come around here because you know we don't want to have to deal with you at this point in time yes. milano is a is a great place and What's great about it is the kind of balance of the quality of life, because unlike certain Italian cities, unlike certain European cities, you aren't overwhelmed by the beauty of it. It's kind of like I compare I compare Paris to, and I mean this in a in a positive, not a negative way. Mm -hmm. I compare Paris to this very, very high-priced courtesan who everyone wants to sleep with her. Everyone wants to be with this, this wonderful, legendary courtesan who basically reveals immediately all of her charms. Rather, Milano is like a lady that you have to get to know first before she basically allows you to take the next yes. step. She unfolds in front of you before you, after she sees that your intentions are sincere. Yeah. So Milano is that kind of town where the more you invest in her, the more she reveals to you. Okay. But yeah. she tends to keep her um, her undergarments to herself until yeah. you're ready to experience them, until she feels you're worthy of the experience. Let's do, for the celeb savant uh, listeners, the hybrid version of the Sananda Maitreya story. All right. Um, you mean the, the kind of bastardized version, the, re the, the Cliff Notes version? Yeah. Sure. Once upon a time, I was a person who was uh, born something completely different. I was born in Harlem, Manhattan. New York City, New York State, on the East Coast of America. Once upon a time in the magical year of 1962. And I basically 
after a couple of uh, incarnations and reinventions, I took a certain identity. I basically then found myself having to wrestle for control of that identity from the corporate entities who felt that they basically had a lot more ownership of that identity than as did myself. And during a period of tremendous crisis, after having um, pretty much by following my own instincts, helped to put that particular identity on the map, uh, I went through a period of profound crisis where for at least two years, I was dissociated from that previous identity and pretty much lost myself in lamentations and meditations regarding what I should do next. After it had been made clear to me that to have gone on with the previous identity would require me to accept that even if I had kind of created it, it was no longer mine and it was now considered someone else's or a group of shareholders' property. And this was unacceptable to me because the vision that I had of what I knew myself to be as an artist and my vision for how I wish to continue making my contribution to an art form that had made a tremendous contribution to my own life, once I realized that I was at great odds with those who felt that I was a, a property, I had a series of dreams in a period of great crisis whereby I was given instruction through those dreams. Mm -hmm. And being born a Piscean, a Pisces, March 15th, I've always placed tremendous value in the role that dreams play in our, in our lives and the various levels and layers that it can reveal according to our, 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 our necessity. Um, and uh, through these dreams, Particularly, I had three dreams that instructed me very clearly that the way forward was to have the faith to jump into a completely new identity, to reinvent myself completely. And though it may be difficult, uh, it was something that would pay off in the end. And I didn't need to be convinced. I was, in fact, happy to find a solution because it would have been difficult anyway. And one thing, I, Barrett, that I've come to understand and appreciate very much is that in any event, as you very well know, and many, many of your listeners have already found out for themselves, there is a great degree to which we are going to suffer this life. Mm -hmm. We, At least for a period of our lives, we're going to go through our suffering. But what I've found is that if, you're going to, if we're going to suffer anyway, it is much better to suffer your life than it is to suffer anyone else's. Because at the end of the day, if you're suffering your life, you come through it with the solutions already in hand. Uh, whereas if you're suffering someone else's life, it's as if you die twice. You have to die twice. I, I was given very clearly through these instructions via these dreams that in so doing, in so adopting another identity, I would not only eventually raise that new identity to a level where I would be able to utilize it, but I would also resurrect the previous identity to another level of regard and respect, uh, but that I would have to trust time. The beautiful thing is that for the first, the, of the three dreams in particular, the first two, I kept hearing this name in the dream over and over and over again, which struck and resonated a very familiar chord within me, even though I had no idea 
to whom they were referring when I kept hearing this name. It was by the third dream that finally, a dream featuring me taking a walk through the forest with angels, uh, with our Western um, symbolism, a representative symbolism of angels, uh, that I started to hear the name again and finally awoke, awake, awoke to the fact that, oh shit, I, I, I'm Sananda, that's me. That's me, I'm Sananda. Okay, and then finally, within the dream uh, space, within that dream, the angels turned around and applauded that I finally, finally got it, that I finally woke up to what was being offered. And uh, I took the bait. I've always trusted my relationship to what my limited understanding of God is in, in, in higher consciousness. I've always trusted that there was something in the world for me to make a contribution towards. I, I grew up in um, a very, very religious atmosphere, which has taken me most of my life to reconcile and make my peace with, because it's not an easy situation to have kind of had my whole life in, in, engulfed by religion and its, its requisite dogma. But I, one of the positives was being given the impression as a child at a very early age that there was something special in the world for me to, to do and that if I were faithful to that understanding, I would be protected. And uh, to this day, I regard my fidelity to my muse. I regard my fidelity to the spirit of music as being the reason why I survived everything, why my life has been looked after and protected uh, so that I could get on with what my contributions and intentions were. I'm living proof and evidence that if you are just faithful and true to what you love and what you're called to and what your passions are, those passions will look after you. So that's in a, in a nutshell, even though it's a pretty big nut. <laughs> that's my, my story for the last, uh, since 90, I took the name Sananda in 1995 at the age of 33, after a period of great crisis. Of course, crisis is nothing new to artists. It's something that we go through from time to time in order to, uh, I guess, come away with deepening compassion and understanding as to how to address the world that we're called to serve. And uh, I officially, the, basically the legal structures officially recognized me as Sananda Maitreya in 2001. And so that's the way I've been living my life ever since. My wife, Francesca, will we'll have been married for 20 years this summer. Ah, congratulations. A, thank you very much. I'm sure she appreciates that as well, Barrett. She's only known me as that. My children were only recently found out, relatively recently found out that I had a previous life. So that's 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 my situation. And and the most important thing was, and if there's anything that can be of help to anyone who's listening, it's whether you change your name or not, it is clear that we go through many changes in our lifetime. And in fact, life invites us to not be afraid to make those adjustments and changes to suit the life that we are ready to receive at any given moment. We may live and die many, many times before we actually physically uh, move on to a, another form of life. But that's what the invitation is, is not to be afraid to know when it's time to move towards another understanding of ourselves, because we are parts of nature. We're intrinsic parts of nature. And, you know, uh, trees shed their leaves. You know, the reptiles shed their skins. 
and uh, so do we. So let's bring it to the present. You've got a live album and a documentary coming out. Tell us more about that. Well, it's uh, available now streaming on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. And the live album is available on Spotify, Apple, Pandora, all the different um, uh, services, which we're very grateful to have. What happened basically, Barrett, was that I was approached before the summer by um, some people in Costa Rica who wondered if I was willing to bring the band down to Costa Rica uh, specifically to celebrate some of the songs from my very last project, Pandora's Playhouse. As you might know, so many of us artists have to avoid being lumped into uh, the categories of the past whereby we have to really struggle to escape sometimes these perceptions that, you know, you're an artist from the 80s or you're an artist from the 90s or from the thousand from the, the thousands or the or the zips or the knots or however you wish to, to to classify that era there are there are those who don't mind it but i've i've always taken great um pains to never allow myself to be st- stuck in time because uh art is an ever unfolding experience and i i've always wanted to align myself with where my passions are now yeah i am very proud of where i've been I, I am very grateful to have left those fingerprints on time, but I'm I'm never focused on anything ex- except where I am right now. So when when I was offered this opportunity to just maybe take a dozen songs or so from Pandora's Playhouse, I thought, well, I don't get those. Most artists don't get specifically those type of of requests every day. And if they do, it tends to be focused focused on something that you've already done many, many years before. So uh, I took that opportunity. And what we decided to do is, instead of just doing the normal three-week rehearsals uh, with my um, live group, the Sugar Plum Pharaohs, uh, we decided to make a documentary as well of the process of what happens when an artist is preparing their live musicians for a concert and everything that goes into that process. We thought it would be an interesting uh, idea to expose to people who kind of are like me or music geeks. You know, I'm the kind of kid who used to read um, the back of every album, all the liner notes. I could tell you who was the second engineer on this project, that project. So, you know, there's always people out there like you who who like the behind the scenes kind of intimacy, especially mm-hmm. since we're in a social media age now where it's all become so much more intimate, the intimate sharing of our lives and opening our lives open. To- the best way to communicate was to open up your life and allow people to see how you also were dealing with the situation and and all of that. So we, we thought it would be a good idea. And uh, it turned out to be something that many people have um, have had a very, very positive response to. It breaks down as if like the first portion, the first two acts of the uh, film are just show us in the rehearsal process. Just show us, you know, going through all of that. And then the final third or let's say the uh, third act, if you will, is us doing the songs in sequence, uh, the set list, basically, that we will be presenting to the people 
in Costa Rica. And things didn't entirely work out exactly as what the original plan was, but it didn't it didn't matter because we wound up getting so much more out of the experience. And uh, then we, of course, we also decided to take the soundtrack, uh, which we're calling a live album, uh, the project, which is called both the soundtrack and the film are called Welcome to the Madhouse, the Costa Rica Sessions. Um, and it's called that because the Madhouse is uh, one of the songs on Pandora's Playhouse. And yeah, I mean, whenever you get a bunch of musicians together and the and the chaos that ensues when they're preparing for, for a performance. Obviously, you've done this many times before, but so did you find that things did play out differently because the camera was there or not necessarily? I probably farted less. You know, it's like... You definitely don't want the camera to catch you. Man, that guy farts a lot. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> no, actually, we made a we made a concerted effort to to not be contrived in any way. You know, wh- what helps is that first of all, you're with musicians that again, um, I, I perform my records in the studio alone, but I've worked with these musicians, the Sugar Plum Pharaohs, for a bit more than five years, as far as when I, you know, do concerts, I obviously mm-hmm. can't play everything in concert. Yeah, and they're a great band. They were already a a, a unit of musicians who had worked together um, for a while, and they approached me um, many years ago, asking if I would consider working with them when I was ready to do live work. And I I was kind of impressed by the fact that they were musicians very familiar with one another. And that they were all music teachers, you know. So when I give them the material to learn, they both are capable of learning by ear as well as writing down everything and making sure everything is correct and as it as it should be. Um, so it's a very comfortable situation for me. I'm very comfortable with them. They're very professional, and uh, they all live in a a lovely, beautiful town north of Milano, about 45 minutes north of Milano, that's right on the Swiss border. Uh, it's in Italy, and it's called Varese. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful town with a lot of beautiful lakes. It's one of those picturesque postcard type of environments. So so I'm very comfortable with them. There's no reason for me to, be, um, to put on airs or uh, abandon any part of my nature of course, you know, except to the, the decorum, which is always something that you you exhibit around people that you respect. But it was very, very much um, in mind that we represent ourselves without pretension, without worrying about how I looked. It also helps if you're familiar with the camera crew. Uh, the camera crew has worked with Treehouse, my publishing company, for many, many years not on every single project, but on the majority of projects. All of the people involved were people with whom I were very intimately familiar and so were very comfortable. And I needed it to be this way because uh, those people have worked with me well enough to know how close to get to the tiger. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't, don't, feed the, don't feed the zoo. Don't get too close, but otherwise be there, be present to everything that's going on. Yeah. And it only took maybe the first couple of days for me to make whatever adjustments I thought to the direction that I wanted the situation, you know, to take before then you can just forget about it and get on with it. When Sananda creates a song, 
from zero minutes to three to four minutes. How's that journey for you? Is it easy every time? Is it difficult? Uh, what motivates you to create music? To be honest with you, it's a natural gift that that um, God has blessed me to have. Um, I, I, I've said this quite a, quite often, is that even our gifts, basically nothing's free. Nothing is without consequence. And so even our gifts can become burdens. We still have to learn how to appreciate value and use our gifts in a way uh, so that they don't basically wind up being something. Because we can sabotage it as well. You can you can have a natural gift that you can still fuck it up, you can still be destroyed by it. Creating music, if I'm totally honest, is easy for me as thoughts popping into to, to your head. Um, and just as thoughts pop into my head, songs pop into my head. I would even say that probably a quarter of my songs, sometimes as much as a third of them come in and through dreams, where literally I wake up and there's a song there, or I hear the song literally in the dream and just kind of wake up and make sure I re re you know, record it or write it down on something real quick so that I, I don't forget it and can begin working on it when I make the time to do so. The creating of the music is the, by far the easiest part. But it doesn't stop the worrying about it. It doesn't stop the the uncertainty, the doubt, the insecurity. All of that comes. Even as you become more aware of these things that don't really mean anything but old habits. Like, yeah. you know, it's sometimes insecurity is just an old habit that is looking for attention. I can easily go into the studio after writing a song after five minutes and record it. But... What I prefer to do is I prefer to live with a song so that, you know, the writing is the easy part. I can write it in five or 10 minutes if when it's there, when it comes to. Mm. But what you want to do is you want to live with it so that the song becomes more than just an idea that came to your mind, but something that becomes a part of your body at some point. And so that you don't have to force the arrangement, that you can allow the arrangement of it to evolve. And that's where most of your your worry process, well, not worry, thought process goes into yeah. not in creating it, but in arranging it and making sure that you placed your painting in the best possible frame. So it's 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 positioning the frame that is the more relatively difficult part of the process than actually creating the painting. So, but of course. None of that stops you from wondering after the fact whether or not you've given it all of the best of your attention and your time as possible, because there's only so much time before the next song is like a greet, like 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 a, a mama, a mama bird with her greedy little birds. They yeah. all want your attention. So yeah. as soon as you go through dressing one song, here comes the next asking for your attention. Um, and so all you can do is just trust the process, not think too much about it, and and be grateful that you have such a gift to work with in the first place. And what's next for Sananda? Actually, I'm I'm in the middle. I'm right now as we speak in the right dab in the middle of my thirteenth number thirteen. Wow, a project of original uh, new material, mm -hmm. uh, not not counting um, you know compilations and things over yeah. which. I um, don't have as much control. I say that because my first four projects were collaborations with Sony, the Sony Meta Corporation. 
everything thereafter has been my own projects. So obviously Sony have done compilations and things of that nature. And I begin, I took a break for, for Christmas and all those things. And I will be going back into the studio within the next uh, couple of weeks to uh, begin the second half of, of the project, which I anticipate by the autumn, you know, if not earlier, we will have available. And then I'm also in collaboration with uh, or conversations with um, a promoter to arrange how I want the tour to look and unfold, as well as the fact that I'm right at the very beginning of, I will soon begin a collaboration with my old partner, Sony, who are, are uh, we've been in discussions for a few years about the right time to approach a documentary of my life. Oh, okay. So we finally agreed on the director. We finally agreed that the process pretty much is about to be, uh, go become underway very, very shortly. It's just a matter of finding time to do justice to it while I'm also doing justice to recording. Yes. Because when I'm recording, I don't care what other things are looming on the horizon. My number one priority is always the records. Activities right now, Barry. What would you like to say to the, uh, the listening audience as a closing message? Well, what I would like to say is that we're going through a, a, a time where we seem to be careening from one crisis to the next. And it does seem that there are forces that feel much more in control of events when we, the people, are more distracted by other things that are going on besides our own inner development as, as beings as people. If I were going to say anything, it's just that to, to remember how valuable compassion is, not only towards others, but towards ourselves. Because we're, we're generally, our cultures inspire us to be very hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. we're, we're locked into these comparisons. We're locked into these um, levels of engagement that don't always favor giving us a fair value, a fair look at who, who we are and the, the various struggles that we've undertaken to um, pull ourselves through these experiences in order to deepen and expand our, our, our appreciation for who we are. Try to remember that everyone, everyone without exception, regardless of how, how they appear on the outside or what they look like, everyone has been given their, their cross to bear. Um, and the willingness to understand that even someone that you don't like or, or 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 feel or feel connected to is still struggling with their own shit. Some of us may appear to handle it more gracefully than others, but there are no exceptions. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank. Um yeah, just to to try to try to appreciate that some people struggle more elegantly than others. Some people seem to have it together more than others, but we all are at our various stages of just dealing with our of dealing with our shit uh dealing with our cross that that's just important for us to t take forward into our our own journey through life because it's just easy to look and compare ourselves to others and and assume that just because of appearances alone their lives are better than our lives but each person is given the weight that they can bear and carry and society may seem to give certain people a free pass. Our 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 cultures hmm. do often favor certain people more than others. There's no doubt about that. But 
life itself doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Life itself doesn't care if you're if you're Elon Musk or or if you were born uh in in in, in poverty. There are still laws that govern time that if we don't respect, we have to, we're held accountable to those laws. So if we do certain things or we trespass against others, society, depending on who we are, might allow us to get away with it. But life doesn't care. Life demands that we each be held accountable to the energy that we create. Uh, as, as the great John Lennon sung about instant karma, not everyone has instant karma, but it, it, everything does catch up to us. So the best way to live a life that we can handle without more struggle than we need to awaken ourselves is to basically make sure that the energy that we create and we live by and we present to others is something that uh, we would like to participate in ourselves, that we receive ourselves. I mean, to paraphrase a very smart, uh, a very wise man, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is certainly not a bad way to go about. And and forgive your anger, because we're all some angry bitches. We all have our anger. It doesn't <laughs> matter whence it comes or whether we should. Or sometimes we look at other people and go, well, what do you have to be angry about? Well, we don't even always know ourselves. Yeah. But it still came out of Pandora's box. It fell upon us. And, and we still have to accept the mantle of our blood karma, meaning that we belong to a long, long, long line of people who passed the baton on to us. We may have inherited our grandfather's prejudice. We may not feel that we are those kind of people personally ourselves, but we are still a part of a continuum, and we still are called to do our portion in working with and through grandpa's prejudices. Okay, we may not have the same opinions politically as our mothers, our fathers, but we we have still agreed on a certain level to shoulder their burden. And so we do the best we can with it. Okay. We don't always know again from whence comes uh, these feelings I have against this tribe or these people or this philosophy or this religion. And, you know, but, you know, we have therapists, we have medications, we have pot, we have so many things hmm. to help us get into our minds and spirits to understand and unravel these conundrums. But let's have compassion for ourselves because it's hard to do anything but cosplay compassion for others if you don't have it for, for ourselves. So that's what I would kind of say because we're going through a lot of crap right now as, as societies. We're growing up. We're, we're finding out for sure what works and what doesn't work. We're, we're coming to understand that while money is a great tool, it isn't more than that, and it shouldn't be placed over the value of our human experience and our human expression. And even I would suggest the understanding that, you know, if if you keep chasing it, it's a bit harder to catch up to. It's, it's rather better mm. to let chase your passions instead and trust that the money will follow your passions. Let the yeah. money chase you as opposed to you chasing it. It seems to work out better that way. Those are the things that I have to say that we're here in the roles that we've undertaken for a reason. There's a reason you were born this guy at this particular time. It was something that you kind of on a certain level agreed to take on the mantle of. 
and that everyone has a burden even if we don't see it so the 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 victim has the burden of being the victim but often the victim doesn't see the difficulty in being the oppressor and that the oppressor also struggles with the the consciousness of the oppressor it it may appear to be an easier burden than being beneath the thumbprints of the oppressor but oppression is not an easy thing to bear whether or not you are on one side of it or the other because it it basically takes a lot of energy it steals a lot of energy from us to basically hold other people down it takes a lot from us to basically it, it energy we could otherwise be investing in the further development of our own consciousness and understanding that energy is basically devoted instead to trying to make sure that other people are not getting the opportunities that can enrich more their lives and which sometimes comes from the, the false belief in scarcity consciousness meaning that the only way i can have more and enjoy an enhanced life must mean someone else must have less so sometimes out of survival fear we feel that we need to participate in upholding one group of people while keeping another group of people down out of the fear that if the other group of people demand their share there's going to be less pie to divide amongst ourselves without realizing that in fact the more people participate in baking a pie the bigger the pie is <laughs> yeah so you know it's those things are the things that I would like to to share because music is one reality but music is only for me a bridge to the energy that the music is basically bringing to you i mean i'm a massive fan i was raised on the beatles and one of the things that you take away from the beatles music is that they always seem to have at the core of what they were doing the desire to invite you into a deeper experience of life into a more joyful experience of life and a deeper examination of life because at the end of the day i come from native american tribes and we don't believe in death we believe death is a western uh concept that's more of a mind control thing uh we believe that all there is is life and the many different forms and formats and the shapes that life takes and even what appears to us with a closed mind to be death is just another form of life and a and a body being left as were that body of a vehicle that a driver has gotten out of after they've gotten as much mileage from that vehicle as they can i mean you're a, you're a very young man bless your heart but i'm sure you've already owned a, a, a several cars and been responsible for several cars during your lifetime but you're the same barrett who has driven every single one of them and when that car has no longer suited your needs or your desires you've simply changed and gotten another one and this is how we view life is a, a, or death is just just a driver that realizes they've gotten as much mileage out of their vehicle as they can as the vehicle was designed to deliver and then they move on when they're ready to the next vehicle and even the intermittent stages of what we can see with our eyes are just the many various forms that life takes and we're not obliged to see all of them we're not obliged to hear everything that a dog can hear we're not obliged to see as far as an eagle can see or to smell as well as a wolf can smell nonetheless life persists and it is a lot more enjoyable and adventurous if we can allow ourselves to lose our fear 
of our misunderstanding of what death is, and certainly not with a view towards recklessly pursuing life uh, and not concerning yourself with with the consequences of recklessness, but just with a, a, a greater concept, a, a greater appreciation of the of the tremendous value of life and the wonderful opportunity it gives us to expand our understanding of it as we expand our understanding and acceptance of ourselves. That's what it's about. Wow. I, I could sit and listen to you for hours. <laughs> so as Sananda says, guys, it's about loving self and all those other elements you just mentioned. So this is Celeb Savant signing out with Sananda Matreya.